Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United City Greensboro podcast, a church in the heart of Greensboro with a desire to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. You can learn more about our community at unitedcitygso.com. Enjoy today's teaching. Awesome. Very good. Very good. Like Jay said, if you do not have a printed copy of the scriptures, I encourage you to get one, all right? Especially in the new year, I think it's a great time to start um, reading something that smells like the Bible. It's good. I encourage you guys to get one. Your phone doesn't smell like the Bible, all right? You need to get you one. We'll have one for free out front for you guys if you would like. Um, just a quick note, a couple weeks ago, or a week and a half ago, we had our very first Christmas Eve candlelight gathering. And I have to say, it, for even myself personally, it was such a beautiful time of reflection and contemplation. And it was dark, and we had candles, and we had stations of reflection. It was really beautiful to see some families with us who weren't able to be present with us because of traveling or whatever. You missed out, and it's okay, you know. Uh, you missed out on a wonderful tradition. So anyway, that's on you, not me. But anyway, uh, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful time together. Um, let me say this. If you have gotten our email, our weekly email, you will have noticed that there is a, um, a spot where we have put that we are sharing some really, really big news in January. Uh, we're sharing some amazing news uh, this, this month, and we're really excited about that. Um, that being said, we're going to share that news next week, okay? So that's kind of like me dangling something in front of you to come back to hear the news that we're going to be sharing. And when I say it's big news, it really is big news. It's not just, oh, yeah, we're changing the toilet paper in the bathroom. Like, that's not it, okay? Some of you guys have clowned me about this in the past. This is really big news. Grace Sullivan, Heath, all right? It is. So I'm really, really pumped about that. Uh, Be sure. It's literally a divine kind of news. So really excited about it. That's next week. Okay. Uh, This teaching series that we're jumping into has been one that has been germinating in my heart and my mind for a couple of years now. It's been a couple of years in the making for us. All throughout our season of being scattered in house churches during COVID-19, I was feeling a tug and a pull to walk through a teaching on the Holy Spirit in our community. I was feeling this sense of like, we need to do a teaching series on the Holy Spirit. So this is like, again, a couple of years in the making in my heart and my mind. Now this past week, we were visiting my parents down the coast for the holidays. And mostly because they said they'd give us a break with Selah. They said they'd take her for a night. And I was like, absolutely. Yes and amen. You guys can take her for a night. Praise God. And I remember there was a moment I was talking to my dad, and he said, I saw you guys, because he gets the email, he said, I saw you guys are getting ready to start this new teaching series. I said, yes, it's on the Holy Spirit. And he was like, whoa, that's, that's a lot, you know? He kind of said it in a sense of, like, excitement for us, and he was terrified for us all at the same time. Um, and he said, there was a guy who came to me one time. He's like, I think we should do a teaching series on the Holy Spirit. He's like, well, that, I mean, that, that could take like all year. Like, that's a long process. And he's like, now you guys are doing it, so I guess we got to do it as well. So he was excited and kind of terrified all at the same time. So be excited and terrified this morning all at the same time, okay? Um, I'm really pumped, though, and looking forward to it. We actually tossed around different, uh, more creative names 
for this teaching series, but ended up just going with the Holy Spirit moment in our, right? We felt like it's an important time and moment in our society to spend an intense amount of time looking at the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, as a disclaimer, let me just say, this teaching will not be quick. It will not be three or four weeks and done. It will take up at least the first two months of the year. So, buckle your seatbelt. All right? Hop on for the ride. It's going to be a wonderful experience. Our hope and our desire is that not only would we study and look theologically at the person of the Holy Spirit, but that we would also experience and encounter the Spirit of God among us. Those are kind of two hopes. Uh, Here's the really neat connection, though. Advent is all about the longing for the arrival of God with us. And Christmas is, is the celebration of that moment. And as I mentioned, we're still in Christmas tide. I want you guys to know until the 6th of January. Epiphany, which is the new season we will enter into, technically starts on January 6th. And it marks the season of the manifestation of God in the person and work of Christ. And it leads us to the Lenten season within the global Christian calendar. That being said, to do a teaching series in Epiphany on the Holy Spirit aligns with the manifestation of Christ in our lives by way of the arrival or the advent of the Spirit. Does that make sense to all of you? If Epiphany is about the manifestation of God through Christ, it makes sense for us to do a teaching series looking at the Holy Spirit and His advent or His arrival inside of us and Christ's manifestation through the Holy Spirit and through our life in the world now. So that's one of the reasons why we are jumping into this teaching series. Remember, there is the advent of God with us Emmanuel, but there is also the advent or the arrival of God within us. There's the advent or the coming of God with us, the Son of God becoming flesh in the person of Jesus, Emmanuel, but then there's also the advent or the coming of God within us. God within us is Emmanuel, God with us is Emmanuel, God within us is the Holy Spirit. And our final teaching of the Advent series was dealing with the statement Mary makes that coincides with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, as well as Psalm 107.9, where she says, in connection to Psalm 107.9, he has filled the hungry with good things. First Sunday of Jay's talk for all of us on the 2nd of January, first Sunday of 2022 will be to essentially rub salt on our lips, to stir a thirst within all of us, to cultivate a hunger, specifically a hunger for more. A couple of years ago myself, I began in my own prayer life and prayer time to have the desire for and begin to pray that the Holy Spirit would give more of himself to me. I want more of the things of God. I want to see more of the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven on earth. I want more of God. That's been my prayer over the last couple of years. Some of us come into the new year and we've got to be asking ourselves the question in the 
quiet places of our life. Is there more to the Christian faith than this? Is there more to discipleship with Jesus than this? Is there more to church than this? Is there more? Is there more? Is there more? The answer is a resounding and absolute yes. There is more. Many of us have only glimpsed or caught a glimpse of the things of God. And I believe that there is more that God wants for all of us. More of his spirit he wants for us to experience. And so my desire for 2022 is that we as a community be three things. The first is that we be a spirit-led people. A spirit-led people. This is a posture that lends itself to the mind and to the intellect. Would we give our minds to the spirit and be led by the spirit? The second is that we be a spirit-filled people. That we be a spirit-filled community. This lends itself to the heart, to the soul. Will we give our hearts to the spirit? Will we be filled more and more in 2022? And the third is that we be a spirit-empowered people. This is the idea of our hands working itself out. Again, it's the manifestation of Christ by way of the spirit through us. Those are my three desires. Write that down in your journal or in your phone. Spirit-led people, spirit-filled people, and spirit-empowered people. I love when I said, write that down. All your heads went down like this. It's great. Teaching series. But before, we will get into all of those elements and the desires during this teaching series. But before we even do that, out of the gate, it must be said that it is only possible It is only possible for us to embark on these three desires if we are a praying community and a practicing community. It will not, you will not be a spirit-led disciple of Jesus if you don't pray. You will not be spirit-filled if you don't pray. You will certainly not be spirit-empowered if you don't pray and commune with the presence of God. As well as practice the teachings of Jesus. Practice the disciplines that are outlined for us in the life of Jesus. This is why we have a rhythm of life. The first one is prayer. We have to be a practicing people, a practicing community. We are students of the way of Jesus. And I truly hope, all of you friends, I hope that all of you are stretched and challenged on the things of the Spirit in this teaching series. There is no other way that we can, as the people of God, or as people in general, flourish and see renewal happen without a fresh move of the Spirit of God. No way. And listen, I desire with every bit of my being to see revival happen. I desire awakening. I am a product of a tradition that was birthed out of revival, birthed out of an awakening of the Holy Spirit. And it started with one heart that was strangely warmed that led to one of the greatest awakenings of the entire Western world. And I want to see revival in our city. 
I want to see revival happen in your home. I want to see revival and renewal happen in your heart. I want to see revival and renewal happen in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and in our world. I'm praying for it. I'm fighting for it. I'm asking for it. I'm begging for it. We need revival. We need renewal. That's what we need in this moment. And we've got to begin to seek the things of God and seek the person of the Holy Spirit. So as many of you know, I grew up in Wilmington. That's my home. That's where I spent the majority of my childhood growing up. And if you are from Wilmington or you know anybody from Wilmington, I would encourage you to ask them, do you know Ricky Meeks? Now you're asking, who is Ricky Meeks? If you ask any one person of the 126,000 people that call, everyone knows who Ricky, to you, 90% of them will know who Ricky Meeks is. Everyone knows who Ricky Meeks is. Ricky Meeks ran for mayor. Ricky Meeks was on the city council. Ricky Meeks is this about six foot five, 375 pound man who rides the bus across the city. And often you would find him dancing at different street corners and going to UNCW basketball games. He was a known character. In fact, Ricky Meeks has so many friends on Facebook that he's not taking any more friend requests. He has no more room for friends. People know who Ricky Meeks is, but he was still a stranger. He lived alone. Everyone would know Ricky Meeks, but very few people actually knew Ricky Meeks. I know who Ricky Meeks is, but I don't know Ricky Meeks. He was, quote unquote, a familiar stranger. For many of us, that is who the Holy Spirit is. We get the Father, we get the idea of the Son incarnate, we get that Jesus became human, but the Holy Spirit seems to be some sort of a mythological figure that should appear in a Marvel movie. And I just saw Spider-Man and it was fire. Francis Chan calls the Holy Spirit the forgotten God. We know the Holy Spirit, but we don't know the Holy Spirit. He's a familiar stranger for many of us. It's like that friend growing up where they're like, you know so-and-so? Like, yeah, I know of them, but I don't know them. Joe Saxton says, remember that the Holy Spirit is not the optional extra in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not the optional extra. Holy Spirit is fully God in total essence and is a part of the Trinitarian community of God. And because the Holy Spirit's become a familiar stranger, here is the challenging reality that we face in the modern West. And I'll quote A.W. Tozer. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. Let that sink in. 95% of what we do, we don't even need the Holy Spirit. It would be withdrawn and nobody would know. In other parts, it was withdrawn from the early church. It's over. It's, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the early church, it's over. Here is the challenging reality we face. The Spirit is a familiar stranger. And we must rediscover and become more acquainted with 
the not optional third person of the Trinitarian community of God. This is why we are doing this teaching series. Now, I also realize the elephant in the room. The moment some of you saw that we were doing a teaching series on the Holy Spirit, you got immediately freaked out. You, you might be a little alarmed and were a little unsure. You're like, oh no. I'm thinking snake handling, jumping pews, 1980s televangelists selling DVDs for $9.99. I'm terrified. And that's okay. There's room for that. And others of you in this room, in our community, were like, finally! Let's go, baby! I've been waiting on this! Let's talk about the Holy Spirit! Finally, we're becoming more charismatic. Thank you, God! Thank you! I'm trying to feel the presence. It's about time. I'm tired of all this intellect stuff. Let's feel the Spirit. I also realize that a majority of our community, interestingly enough, grew up in liturgical traditions. A lot of you grew up in United Methodist churches, you grew up in Presbyterian churches, some of you grew up Anglican, some of you grew up Catholic. And so when we say the Holy Spirit, you're like, who is that? <laughs> I get it. Some of you are like, well, I never really heard about the Spirit, you know, growing up, going to church, like never really experienced any kind of manifestations, no signs and wonders. Like that was like, no, no, no. It was very orderly. Okay, we follow the order of service. That's just how it was. I realized that. And the unfortunate reality is that many churches divide over the topic of the Holy Spirit. Some communities of faith are all intellect, all theology, all doctrine, and all Bible, with very little experience of the Spirit. Others are all Spirit, all signs and wonders, all encounter with very shallow theology and doctrine. And to that end, let me just say, it isn't either or. It is both and. For our community, listen to me, for our community, I desire with everything to be a community of theology and of the Spirit, to do good doctrine and to experience the person of the Spirit, to be both liturgical and charismatic, intellectual and emotional, to have disciplines and experience, to be contemplative and expressive, to have a robust sense of teaching, but also demonstrating as well. In fact, if you look at the life of Jesus, you will see that nine times out of 10, he demonstrates first, then he explains. He does, and then he teaches. We have to be a community that demonstrates the power of the Spirit, as well as teaches the doctrines of the historic church and those provided for us in the person of Jesus. Now, quick little overview, really quick. It's important to kind of clarify some terms for you. There are a couple of different camps within the Western church that I want us to be aware of. And they're kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. They're kind of, they can be extremes on either end, all right? One side would be a group of people who would consider themselves to be what is referred to as cessationist. All right? These are people who essentially reject that the gifts of the Spirit exist today, that they ceased during the time of the apostles. All right? That's this, this kind of camp. A figurehead leader in this camp is a guy by the name of John MacArthur. Okay? John MacArthur, 
high cessationists. The gifts of the Spirit have ceased because the Bible has now been canonized and we have the scriptures. The far other end of the spectrum, we have what we call uh, Pentecostalism. Okay? Pentecostalism, capital P. All right? Uh, figurehead leader in Pentecostalism, modern Pentecostalism, I would say right now, is a guy by the name of Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson is the senior pastor of Bethel Church in Redding, California. Okay? That not only is the gifts of the Spirit for us today, we got to seek it, we got to test it. There's a research and development side of things that is all about the Holy Spirit. And for modern Pentecostals, traditional Pentecostal theology is that to be filled with the Spirit must be manifested through the speaking of tongues. The speaking of tongues is required as one who's been filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's actually two baptisms. One at a moment of conversion, and then one where this Holy Spirit comes on you and you speak in tongues. Okay? So you kind of got the cessationist side, you got the Pentecostal side. Then you also have the word, it's thrown around a lot, I just use it, it's the word charismatic. Okay? Charismatic. Some of you equate charismatic with Pentecostal. It's not necessarily the same things. Pentecostalism is deeply connected to a thought process. I'm going to get into speaking in tongues, prophecy, all the gifts, nation, and baptism of the Spirit, and speaking in tongues. We're going to get into speaking in tongues, prophecy, all the gifts of the Spirit here in the next few weeks. It's going to be great. Charismatics essentially say, though, the gifts of the Spirit are alive and active, and I believe in the charis, or the gift, the charismata. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. They are active today. The gifts of prophecy, the gifts of word of knowledge, healing, speaking in tongues. I, I believe in all those things. They're still active. They did not close when the Bible was canonized. Okay? Keep that in mind. And let me tell you this. I am not cessationist. And I'm not full-on Pentecostal, but I desire to be a charismatic community. You track it with me. I desire to be a charismatic community with everything that is within me. And our era, time, and moment in history is in dire need of churches that exemplify the qualities and attributes of being both liturgical and charismatic, rooted and experiential contemplative and expressive. The challenge lies on the extremes of either end. We've seen the harm done on both sides. So in this teaching series, we will ask two questions. Okay? Two questions. The first question is, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Spirit? That's the first question. The second is, what does the Spirit do? What does the Spirit do? It's two questions that we will be asked. And like I said, we will be talking about the gifts of the Spirit, but I want you to know the greatest gift is the giver himself. The greatest gift is the Holy Spirit. We will talk about speaking in tongues. We'll talk about prophecy, so just be prepared. But we'll also talk about our identity in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, newness as a result of the Spirit. We don't just want to look theologically at the Spirit as an object of study. We want to do that. But also as someone to experience. I want you to experience the Spirit in 2022. To experience the presence of God this year. So, all hearts clear on where we're going, the direction we're heading. Hopefully no one's terrified. There will be no snakes. I promise you that. Okay, no snakes. I'm not going to be wearing a, like, purple suit. Okay. I promise you that. All right. But I'm also going to say that the gifts of the Spirit are alive and active, and Paul says we should seek the greater gifts. Be prepared. Okay. 
Cool. Genesis chapter one. Let's go there real quick. Genesis chapter one. I'm going to be looking at a lot of scripture today. All right. So if you're really good at flipping through the Bible, then awesome. If not, just look at the screen. All right. But be aware of these verses. Genesis chapter one, verses one through two, the very beginning of the story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So here we are now introduced to the Spirit of God in the very first two verses of the entire story of creation. The Spirit clearly has a role to play in the creation of the world. We see it here hovering, or better translation, I think, is moving over the waters. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, the image is given of a mother eagle hovering over her nest with the same Hebrew word that's used in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 of hovering. The same Hebrew word is used in Deuteronomy 32 and it's this image of a mother eagle hovering over her nest. I have a picture for you to just kind of get an idea, an image of what it looks like for the spirit to hover over the waters. This image is very consistent. The idea of a bird hovering is very consistent throughout the story of the scriptures. And it's important to realize that the Spirit always descends to earth. It always descends to earth. And we will come back to this significance in a moment towards the end of the teaching. The word for spirit in the Hebrew scriptures is ruach. Can you say that with me? Ruach. Great. Awesome. I love it. And it means breath, wind, or spirit. We see this word all throughout the Hebrew scriptures, the ruach, the spirit of God. We also must remember that God breathes his ruach into Adam. The ruach of God is what gives life to humanity, which is kind of getting into what the spirit does, which we're going to come to later in the teaching series, that the spirit is the animator of life. The spirit animates life. But the next time we see this Hebrew word for ruach is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking. And we're assuming that this is the person of Jesus, by the way. The person of Jesus, the Son of God, walking in the garden. The embodied uh, physical presence of God in the garden, in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. When it says, in the cool of the day, the Hebrew is ruach. In the breeze, or the evening breeze, or evening wind of the day. This is the second time we see the idea of the ruach here in the first couple chapters of Genesis. And what we notice from the beginning of the creation story is that where the Spirit of God is, the tangible walking presence of God is. Not just the omnipresence, but the manifest presence. And there's a major distinction. One says God is around. God's omnipresence, he's around. The other, the manifest presence, says God is close. Do you see the distinction? God is around, God is close. We can't confuse one for the other. So, what does this mean? From the beginning of creation, 
humankind was designed to be in the tangible, physical, real, and experiential presence of God. Do you see that? God was literally walking in the garden. His presence was tangible. And check this out. This is wild. Eve was created out of what? Adam's rib. We see that in Genesis 2, verse 22. The Hebrew word for rib is better translated as his side. And throughout the Old Testament, this Hebrew word actually has more of an architectural meaning to it. Specifically, as it relates to the tabernacle and the eventual temple built by Solomon, as well as David. You see this word, this Hebrew word, used for side a lot in Exodus 36 and Exodus 37, as well as 1 Kings chapter 6. Here is one example. Exodus 36, verse 31. They also made crossbars of acacia wood, five for the frames on one side of the tabernacle. 1 Kings 6.16, he partitioned off 20 cubits at the rear of the temple with cedar boards or cedar siding from floor to ceiling to form within the temple an inner sanctuary, the most holy place. The majority of the time we see this Hebrew word for side or rib has to do with the construction or the architecture of the temple or the tabernacle. Is that not interesting? Adam and Eve, friends, humankind, was designed and engineered to be a part of and in the dwelling place of God. As an image-bearing human, all of us in this room, you and I were crafted and made to be in and a part of the temple of the presence of God. All of us as humans, all of us as image bearers. We were made to be and dwell in the temple of God. Eden functions as this garden temple. Why? Because God dwells in the temple and God is dwelling in Eden. But what happens later in the Adam and Eve story, as we know, they are sent east. They are cast out of the garden. This is where John Steinbeck gets his idea with the book East of Eden. They are exiled out of the Garden of Eden. They're exiled out of the temple. They're sent out. They're detached from what? The tangible presence of God. This is why the tabernacle and the temple are built in the Old Testament, because God still moves toward humanity with his presence. But he is holy, and sin cannot intermingle with his holiness without some sort of sacrifice. So he provides this space for his presence in the tabernacle and in the temple. And then we eventually, we see Moses as a representative of the Israelite people. He comes face to face with God on a mountain as well as consistently in a tent. Exodus chapter, 30, or Exodus chapter 33, starting verse 7. I'm going to read this to you. 
Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud or the presence of God, the Spirit of God, would come down and stay at the entrance. While the Lord spoke with Moses... And then whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood, and what did they do? They worshiped each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses, key phrase, face to face. As one speaks to a friend, the manifest presence, the closeness, the intimacy. We see it here in Exodus 33. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. He seems mesmerized by the presence of God. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember this nation is your people. The Lord replied, here we go. My presence will go with you, and I will give you what? rest. From that moment forward, throughout the story of Israel in the Old Testament, God's tangible and physical presence and spirit was only found in the tabernacle or in the temple. Why? Because I said this a second ago. God's presence must and always dwells in a temple. You got that? God's presence always dwells in a temple. Originally, it was Eden. Then it was a mountain on Sinai. Then it was a tent. Then it was a tabernacle. And then it was the temple. In the Old Testament, you only see the spirit dwelling or abiding or living in the temple. But occasionally, the spirit will visit or come on or descend or hover on prophets, priests, and kings, specific people for a specific work. Underneath it all, however, all throughout the Old Testament is this yearning and longing for more of the presence of God. That the earth would be covered with the presence of God. And that is the prayer of Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 3. There is this yearning for more of the presence. But the Old Testament was an age of visitation. The Spirit would visit and retreat. Specific people, prophets, priests, and kings. Look at David, who was a king of the Old Testament. Psalm 51, 11. Do not cast me from what? Your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. We see a similar plea from Moses in Exodus 33, but in verse 15 of that same passage. Then Moses said, if you don't personally, keep that in mind, personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. That's the New Living Translation. In other words, land is not our ultimate desire. Our ultimate desire is your presence. It's the presence of Yahweh. It's the manifest Presence, the glory of God. In verse 18, Moses demands God to show him his glory. He says, show us your glory. Show me your glory. His Shekinah or manifest presence. If you've ever been around some charismatics and they use the word Shekinah, you're like, what is that? Are we speaking in tongues or is that a real word? 
okay? Shekinah is the manifest glory of God that is tangible and ex- experiential. You got me? Some of you are like, I grew up United Methodist, but I'm becoming charismatic today, baby. Yes, the Shekinah glory, the manifest presence. But outside of the temple, the spirit and presence of God, again, was only one of visitation. There's still a yearning for more of the presence. And there's promises given in the Old Testament for more of the presence of God. And then we see Jesus. We're moving through the scenes of the Spirit. We got creation, we got Israel, now we're moving to Jesus. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and made His what? Dwelling among us. It's a key word. We have seen His what? Glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word dwelling can also mean tabernacle or temple. Jesus, friends, was now the embodied temple of the Holy Spirit. Look at John 1.32. We're coming back to this bird image again. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come, what? Down from heaven as a dove or a bird and remain on him. It settled on him. It didn't leave. It remained on him. This is referencing Genesis 1-2, as well as in the Exodus, where the presence hovers in a pillar of cloud and fire over the tabernacle. It's also referencing Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11, how the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, would have the Spirit on him, and he would usher the Spirit of God into the age. And it's happening with the person of Jesus. And then Jesus starts doing things that get him in trouble. That get him into trouble because there are things that are done only at the temple. And only within the temple. Like, he walks around saying people's sins are forgiven. Ritually, at the temple. That's not true. That's a process you go through ritually at the temple. With sacrifice. You don't forgive people, Jesus. He says, yes, I, yes, I can. Why? Because I'm the living temple. I'm the embodied presence of God. And then he makes the definitive claim of being the embodied temple and presence of God in John chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of, this is verse 21, but the temple he had spoken of was what? his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus is the new Adam, but he is also the container of the Holy Spirit. He is now the embodied temple or the spirit of God, where the spirit of God dwells within him. Then we make it to our verse in John chapter 20. Jay read a bit ago, where after the resurrection... Jesus breathes. The Greek word is pneuma. And it's the Greek word for the Hebrew word, ruach. He breathes on the apostles and they receive the Holy Spirit. Again, we see the same notion from Genesis 1, the ruach. Or here it's the pneuma, the breath of God. Eventually in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down like a fire and the church is birthed. 
And this is a reference to the prophecy in Joel chapter 2, where it says, In those days I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. All people. Not just prophets, priests, and kings. Not just people of special place. All people, including women. Men and women will prophesy. And keep in mind that prophecy is connected to the Holy Spirit coming on the early church as well as us. There are signs and wonders that come with the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Keep in mind, this is not a group of intellectual biblical scholars in Acts chapter 2 or in the early church. Mostly it's a group of illiterate peasants who didn't even have access to the printed New Testament. All they had was the fire and the presence and the Spirit of God. That was it. And we see this rapid move of the Holy Spirit. In fact, most people call the Acts of the Apostles the Acts of the Spirit. Only to get to Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, where he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Now, often when we see the word you in the New Testament, it's a plural form of the word. It could be translated y'all. But in this case, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, you is actually singular, meaning that the Holy Spirit dwells in each body that is the temple of his presence. Meaning that when you become saved, quote unquote, the primary mark of salvation is the indwelling of the Spirit. You are a temple of the Spirit that the presence of God, the manifest presence, lives within us, within you. Why? The Spirit has to be in a temple. Jesus had to go. He couldn't go all over the world. He's contained a time, space, and place, okay? So he sends the Spirit now to indwell the church that's scattered all across the world. God's Spirit. If you don't get anything else today, the Spirit and tangible presence always and must dwell in a temple. We are now that temple, friends. As a community, you are that temple. You're that temple. You're that temple. You're that temple. You're that temple. You are a temple. You're a temple. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And as we close today, I know this was a lot. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant. And I want that. I want you so drenched in content around the Spirit that you're like, whoa, let's go dive into this more, please. I understand that. It's totally okay. As we end today, though, and enter this teaching series and teaching journey, I think it will be helpful for us to have a working definition of the Holy Spirit. So when we say the Holy Spirit, what do we mean when we say that? And this definition comes from Gordon Fee, who is probably the greatest New Testament scholar around the topic of the Holy Spirit. He is a professor, has been a professor for a long time at Regent College uh, in Canada, where J.I. Packer was for a long time. He's a charismatic intellect, which can be a dichotomy sometimes. I get that, but I love it, all right? He's awesome. Gordon Fee wrote a thousand-page systematic theology book around the person of the Holy Spirit. Go read it, all right? Challenge 2022, read Gordon Fee, okay? Here's his definition. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. Simple, it's not deep, it's not crazy. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence available to all of us. And as the people of God, it indwells all of us. And we will get way more into the power of the Spirit and the demonstration of the Spirit. But today, I just wanted to make it clear that the ache of the human soul, I believe, is for the presence of God. 
There is no deeper ache, no deeper longing than the presence of God. We ache it. We ache for it. We yearn for it. We long for it. We want more of the presence of God. Why? Because in the presence of God is what, based on Exodus 33, rest. Rest. Psalm 42, 2 speaks to this. It says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? We see again the human ache in this psalm. And here's the beauty, friends. Ephesians 3, 12, Paul says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. We can enter Eden once again. We can enter the temple freely to the holiest of holies, into the presence of God. We can go in confidently. Here's the problem. Most of us don't even go in confidently. Most of us don't even go in at all. Despite having access to the one thing the Israelite people wanted for years and years and years and years, the one thing we all long for, we stand outside of the temple. And he says, you can go in boldly and with confidence into God's presence. Tozer says, the presence and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. We spoke to this earlier. There can be the one without the other. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it. He's here. You might not be aware of it. You're going throughout your day. You're going to Trader Joe's. You're going to Harris Teeter. You're going shopping. You're driving down Wendover. God's here, honey. He's around. But his manifest presence is only when we are aware of it. His manifest presence only comes when we are aware of it. To that end, I'm going to get Anderson to come up. and We're going to finish our time together. To that end, over the next few weeks, may you and I discover and come to a greater understanding and awareness of the person, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned at the very beginning of the teaching, I want more of God. And I want you to want more of God. A people on fire. A people set ablaze by the presence of God. A people who are hungry of His presence. Who are like Moses and look at God and say, show us your glory. Show us your presence. Who are like Isaiah and say, at night my soul longs for you. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks you diligently. And who are like David and say, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Listen, friends, we're living in dry times. I want you to become thirsty. I know some of you are like, I don't know. Like, I got a lot of jacked up stuff in my life. Or I don't really know a lot about the Holy Spirit. That's okay. God simply invites you. Here's the trick. Oftentimes, I think sin is us not giving our whole self to God. And he says, no, bring your whole self to me. Bring every bit of me. Or bring every bit of yourself to me. Pastor Tony Evans says, religion without the presence of God is like wax fruit. It looks real, but possesses no nutritional value. A lot of us, unfortunately, have a sense of religion that is like wax fruit. And there's no nutritional value. Today, I want you to begin to ask, do I have an awareness of the Spirit? 
to have an awareness of his presence, to have an, even an awareness I can enter into the holiest of holies with confidence. And so we're going to close our eyes real quick here. We're actually going to have time each week for response to the teaching, to the moment, to the presence among us, the music, to the scriptures, to time together. And if in this room, in this moment, in this season, in this time, first Sunday of January 2022, if you're like, you know what, honestly, I want to be more aware of the Spirit. I've been aware at times and seasons, but I want to be more aware. If that's you, would you, I just want you to lift your hand. Don't look around, just lift a hand. I want more awareness. Yep, 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 yep. Come on. I want to be aware. Let's just start there. I just want to be aware of the access that I have. I want to be aware of the Spirit. I want to be aware of the presence that gives rest. I want to be aware of the manifest presence of God. That's the starting point. It's awareness that you have access to the holiest of holies. You have access because you are